0: Hello and welcome to Wine Blast. I'm Susie Barry and here to provide some chat and the drinks is my husband and fellow master of wine, Peter Richards.
1: I was born to serve you wine. I think you were. Yeah. You, you think I was? <laughs> Alright, fine. You know, clearly it's my destiny so I'm happy yeah. to embrace that. Slight arrogance on your part. <laughs> uh, do I do it well?
0: I'm going for it today. You do, you do. Definitely, definitely. As long as I do you a decent your, job. Your waiter's penny.
1: And, and, and not much else. But let's let's carry on. Um, I want to start today's show um, with a question. Because, mm-hmm. you know, keep me things fresh. We don't often do this, but I wanted to try to do it this week, see where we go. Um, my question is this. How important is wine in the grand scheme of things? Ooh.
0: okay Okay. Um, right. Well, it's, mm. it's not very usual for you to cut to the chase <laughs> like this, is it? So, um, uh, well uh, let me think. Okay, right, fine. Um... What I'd say is wine is tremendously unimportant for mm, some people mm, yeah. and massively important for others like us. And I yeah. imagine probably most of the people listening. Yeah, yeah,
1: okay. Good answer. Good answer. Yeah, well said. Well said. I mean, the, the reason I ask it is because I've been thinking about it quite a lot recently um, and, and mainly because of what's been going on, the, you know, the last couple of months, of course. Uh, not, not... In fact, just to do with the coronavirus, but mm. but which is I think making us think all think about what we do and why, isn't it? It's asking us, making yeah. us question sort of everything but but also so things like more, there? exactly. it just more. seems yeah, like yeah. there's so much going on at the moment I mean the alcohol ban in South Africa yeah. you know this explosion in, in Lebanon which we're going to come on to talk about you know big world events that really put things into perspective Um, and, you know this month I've been chairing as we discussed in the last podcast chairing at the Decanter World Wine mm-hmm. Awards you know tasting and rating hundreds of wines handing out medals and, and you know and you start to think it's, it's wonderful the, the but glam
0: bit <laughs> it's, it, it's is, glam, it is well,
1: it's, glam, but it's, it's not glam it's tasting you know tasting hundreds of wines a lot of time on this, and you think, you know, how important is, you know, fiddling around with wine like this in, in the grander scheme of things, in, the, in terms of the big picture?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, mm. I mean, in the bigger picture, I suppose wine, it, it's a long way from being the most important thing in the world, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, it's lovely, it's a lovely thing, mm. um, but it's not perhaps what you'd call a necessity for life. And um, mm but but maybe maybe that depends on who you're talking about and how you define necessity you're, you're, you're that
1: is absolutely it and that was kind of where my thoughts were heading as well because you know i think you think about these places i mentioned lebanon south, south africa, africa yeah. you know and you think of the people who who grow these you know these vines uh, make the wine supply the the, you know the wineries whatever these are all livelihoods depending on wine you know so all around the world you know it's a multi-billion dollar sector it's not just some irrelevance we quaff on a Tuesday night with our pizza this is Mm -hmm. really really important it's you know the same with the the vast network of people all around the world who are sort of in the business of wine you know shipping importing distributing distributing, which we have a lot of in this country selling selling wine wine. it's a lot of jobs and livelihoods depend on 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 wine that makes it important
0: it is but i mean but to be fair it's not even just about the economics is it it goes Mm, it goes a long way beyond that um and this is what i was sort of getting at just now because for people who drink wine it's one of the most enjoyable and delicious things in life i mean it Mm, it can help it can help to alleviate stress it just makes life more fun Mm. um it Brings people together, I suppose, to socialise, to share things. It's great with food, which mm-hmm, we all mm-hmm, obviously need mm-hmm. in life, um, and it, well, we think. I think we think it can be pretty healthy too, if you if you don't mm-hmm. drink too much of it. Oh,
1: there we go, Doctor Susie. So there's,
0: a, there's a social
1: Doctor Susie element. back in the room. Can I come to your clinic
0: every day, please? <laughs> you do, don't you? <laughs> I do actually. I'm doing my best.
1: <laughs> it's where I get my best health advice. Entirely unqualified, <laughs> uh, but no, you know, um, I, I well, of course, I completely agree. You know, I, th- I think. There are the intangible benefits of wine, I think, are things which we don't really pay that much attention to when we're talking about, you know, the bigger debate and when we talk about politics, mm-hmm. because these things, I think partly because these things are hard to quantify. They don't get discussed so much, especially when it comes to serious discussion. And yet, I think these have a massive benefit, and we, and I think they're part of the way that wine can be undervalued and underestimated in terms of its that word in terms of its value to, to people and to society.
0: I can see a Daily Mail headline coming on what? here too. tomorrow: <laughs> Masters of Wine agree that wine is the answer to yeah. world peace.
1: <laughs> yeah, right, fair enough, fair enough. You know, it's hardly I mean, surprising. Not quite. We that. agree on this. You know, and I come to your doctor's surgery. Uh, <laughs> you know, but. I think it is good to touch on these things from time to time. If we don't say it, no one's going to. And I yeah. think I, I think most of our listeners would agree. And, and and this is part of the debate. And also, it's really important to say, of course, wine is no panacea. You know, it's alcohol. It's dangerous. It's potentially problematic.
0: I mean, you've got to see both sides of the argument, obviously. Completely. Um, and,
1: and, and I think that... Also, I think we would say, I hope you'd agree, there's just way too much rubbish wine out there still. Yeah, I mean, you
0: know? life's too short for drinking <laughs>
1: well, that's a, rubbish wine. It's one of our, yeah. our tasting notes, isn't it? A life's too short <laughs> yeah. wine, you know. L- LTS. <laughs> units,
0: wasted units.
1: Wasted you know. units. Um, and I, I think we can, we, you know, as a wine industry, we can do better. But, you know... Going back to the original point, you know, it's the small things in life I think we've really been appreciating.
0: Since the beginning of, of lockdown. Since lockdown
1: yeah. in all of this. And just having a look and reconsidering what's important in our lives and, and what's not. And what's not, yeah. And of course, wine is quite important <laughs> in our life.
0: In our life, wine is particularly important. Maybe not in everybody's <laughs> so life. So you no,
1: know, not in everyone's life. But I think to say, but, you could sum up by saying, you know, wine is maybe far from the most important thing in life, but it's still not without importance.
0: How could I possibly some. disagree?
1: Okay, yeah, good. All right. um, and of course, um, that, yeah. yeah,
0: this this does lead obviously onto our main focus in this episode, which yeah. is what's happening in Lebanon. Mm. Lebanon. Lebanon. Lebanon, I can't hear I quite that. like the sound of Lebanon. Lebanon. <laughs>
1: Let's make another country, Lebanon.
0: Lebanon, which um, I mean, it isn't it isn't a country, I don't think that everyone immediately associates with wine, mm. but it is in fact one of the most historic wine nations yeah. on the planet. Yeah. Um, and right now, it's a place where wine is. Definitely important mm. and can actually help.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, of course, we're talking about the, the, the massive explosion uh, on August the 4th in the port area of Beirut, uh, which has really rattled the country to its bones, you know, sent shockwaves around the world. Hundreds were killed thousands injured. Uh, the Economist estimates that around 300,000 people uh, were made homeless, which is around 5% of the entire Lebanese population.
0: That's incredible, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's that's a, a, one in 20. Yeah. Ridiculous. Um, yeah, and the, yeah. apparently the cleanup bill could be as high as $15 billion. Mm. Um, and this is all a time when the, the country's already suffering from one of the worst economic and financial crises in its in its history. Um, mm-hmm. The currency has lost 80% of its value since October.
1: Yeah, and we're going uh, to be talking about that as well. It's, it's, yeah. it's a really important issue here.
0: Inflation's running at 90%. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. As I'm sure many of our listeners know, Lebanon is riven by sectarian splits. And there just seems very little hope of mm-hmm. politicians mm-hmm. implementing the kind of long-term reform needed to get the country back on its feet on an, on an even keel mm. um, and and meanwhile I suppose right now all people can think about is getting on with clearing up the rubble or the mm. broken glass or whatever there's out there on those streets and just rebuilding their lives. Yeah
1: apparently I've, I've heard uh, this morning since the cabinet resigned you know people the people who've been clearing up volunteers they've come with shovels they've come with brooms and they've been clearing up the glass yeah. apparently you know amazingly well. I mean uh, well.
0: Yeah, I suppose this is, it's, it's, it's a certain resilience and you've just I I suppose, you know, a great country with great people, they get on with it.
1: They do, but unfortunately they're being let down by the political class, who are, meanwhile, there's a massive power struggle going on. There's a power vacuum, there's a void... Everyone, all the factions are battling. I mean, it's this anyway. Uh, it, but when it's we, but really, it's really in all this. I mean, what about, yeah, the, what about yeah. the wine industry? Yeah, so yeah, let's get back to wine. So this is what the we wine know. industry, the you know. Lebanese wine
0: you know,
1: it, industry, it's tiny, of course, tiny wine industry. Is that, yeah. As far as I understand, so eight to ten le- million bottle production, which sounds quite a lot, but then you put that into perspective. It's, it's, it's England it, and Wales. England and Wales is England.
0: Well, last year England was about ten and a half million bottles, so slightly more, <laughs> slightly than, more. than the whole of Lebanon, uh, which um, I mean, which Italy. I think
1: I did look at some OIV figures, and I think Italy makes a over 6 billion bottles uh, a year. And global production apparently is around 35 billion bottles. So 10 million drop in the ocean. But, but... Lebanese wine doesn't make it less important no exactly it's it's such a proud and long history which I think people often forget you know it goes back thousands of years some people think 6,000 to 7,000 years you know along with the Caucasus Mountains which is obviously not far away you know Lebanon is one of the cradles of wine you know it was from port cities here that the great Phoenician traders took wine and vines all around the Mediterranean places we think of as kind of like the historical cradles of wine like Greece and Italy Spain North Africa and beyond
0: so and and I think it's also no coincidence that mm. the the romans mm-hmm. built one of their one of i think one of their finest temples to wine in lebanon the great mm. uh, the temple of bacchus at Baalbek in the becca valley yeah. um and now the becca valley is a high altitude plateau just so we get a yeah, picture this is important of this to say. so so the becca valley um is important in terms of lebanese wine it's it's a high altitude plateau mm. um I, I suppose it's lebanon's um, how would you describe it, bountiful mm. pantry, yeah. um, the the altitude moderates the the temperatures, so the, these screaming hot temperatures, and that allows crops to thrive, particularly vines. Mm. And they grow, I think it's between, what was it, altitudes of 1,000 to yeah, roughly. 1,800 yeah, metres above like sea level. So it's, so quite, so it's really very quite, high. Quite high, yeah. So... Hearty reds are Lebanon's most widely recognised style, as mm. I think anybody who's probably come across Lebanese wine will will have probably tried a red. Um, but actually... All styles of wine are made, yeah, you know, from yeah. you've got these lovely, we're going to talk about this shortly, intriguing whites mm. yeah, made yeah, from indigenous yeah, gr- varieties yeah, yeah, that probably nobody's ever heard of unless yeah, you live yeah, in the Lebanon, yeah. um, to rose, sweet, fortified, yeah. a bit, bit of everything. Yes, yeah, really. a bit of everything.
1: And we're going to be talking about some of these in, in, in a moment later on in the programme and recommending some. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's worth remembering also, just to touch back on the politics, that Lebanon's been invaded and ruled by so many different people over the years, you know, Macedonians, yeah. Romans, Ottomans, Syrians, Israelis, French, between the two world wars. They've had so many people oh, wow.
0: coming, <laughs> you know it's and obviously all, you saying, I feel really sorry for countries that are constantly well offended. you can look at it
1: the other way around because you know they've absorbed all these wonderful influences and cultures and I think that's Fair enough. particularly yeah, yeah. from a wine point of view yeah, it's meant you know some really lovely and, and you know you talk about the French influence well you know they're much more French looking in their wine styles which I think yeah. has a bearing um, and yeah as we've discussed it's also made them quite resilient as a, as a people which also is telling in the wine sense
0: yeah yeah now we of course wanted to get some, some expert opinion on <laughs> It's like not just waffle yeah. um, but uh, and so we contacted michael Caram, uh, a british lebanese journalist and mm. he's a wine expert who he returned to the lebanon in 1992 just after the end of the 15 years civil war and he ended up i don't think he intended to do this but he ended yeah. up staying 22 years meeting his wife and starting a family
1: yeah yeah so michael has written about all aspects of lebanese sort of culture economics politics and wine um, and he's also been h- helping in promoting lebanese wines broad and i started by asking him to talk about the lebanese people
2: at the risk of sounding controversial the lebanese are more of a people than a country they are you know spread all over the world um and i think that they they define the country more than the country defines the people if that makes any sense they're 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 just very very remarkable i mean they're the world's oldest traders so they're always looking looking to do a deal um, but that that also makes them rather suspicious and paranoid and stubborn, as well. But um, along with that comes a, a huge helping of, of warmth and kindness and generosity that um, that, from what I've heard, leaves a mark and, and leaves leaves an impression on on people who've been to Lebanon and spent time there.
1: Now I'm going to I'm going to take you back to to current events, um, the, the, the the recent explosion, of course, which. In the port area of Beirut, which, which has obviously had a massive impact, not only in terms of hundreds dead and, and thousands injured, of course, but the city's infrastructure too. And also kind of psychologically, not only for the country, but as you said, so many people around the world. And the country, of course, already on its knees because of economic and, and political mismanagement. You've written um, Lebanon is in deep trauma. Um, how are you feeling at the moment?
2: Well, first of all, the 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 images were deeply upsetting. Um, not just the, the the blast, but the the images of the aftermath of the blast. Uh, these are streets I know, um, people I know, very very close and dear friends um, have lost everything. You um, know, it it was incredible just calling people and asking whether they're okay. And you know, literally everyone was saying we're okay, but our home is destroyed. We're okay, our home is. Devastated. We are, you know. I mean, it was just this. I mean, it was almost the same answer. And I called uh, one of the neighbours in my building where we used to live. And again, the whole building, the whole building was wrecked. So part of me was thinking, well, what would have happened had I been there? Had my family been there? Those few minutes, or you know, up up to an hour after the blast, when people still. Trying to get in contact with loved ones must have been horrible. So yeah, and and I, I actually don't think it's sunk in. What I do know is that East Beirut has been has been destroyed. And East Beirut was it's 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 half the capital. It's it's a very vibrant district. Um, it's where the majority of the Christian community lives. And so and so one particular community has taken a hit and it's just it's just very sad
1: now you've written a lot about about lebanon um and not just on wine but but all aspects and it's obviously been a tumultuous last few decades which you've seen you know up close and personal where where does this moment this sort of latest catastrophe stand in the context of all of all of that and and how does lebanon pick itself back up and, and where does it go from here
2: I, I, in, in 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 4 seconds it did what 5 or 6 years of civil war was able to do to the cent- to central beirut so um, it was very immediate and it was very powerful and i think that it will be one of the major milestones in the history of beirut as a city that has suffered, has suffered earthquake and and war and instability and, and and I think it will be it will be up there as one of the and they say Beirut has been destroyed five or six times I can't remember and i think that this this might be one of the a similar milestone in that respect but a lot of people have been talking in the last couple of days about the resilience of the lebanese it's it's an overused word but um they are they are a very resilient people they've been They've been, being, they, they, they've been screwed over for thousands of years, ever since the first Phoenician trader had to get on a boat and sail across the Mediterranean to Crete, I think was the first place they hit, just to make a better future for themselves. This won't break them. This will not break the Lebanese, but it's, it's, it's a major dent.
1: And obviously you've written a lot about wine, how important wine is to the Lebanese uh, spirit, soul, but also its economy. How can wine help in this current situation?
2: One of the things that got me to really fall in love with Lebanese wine wasn't the wine per se, although I, have, although I do love the wine. I mean, I would admit to you that I am not, if I'm being completely honest, I'm not a wine nerd. I don't lie in bed at night wondering what's going on in, in, the, in, in the Loire. I love the idea of Lebanese wine because it is the one thing that can help us push an identity of a country that is so misunderstood, wine is our most high profile export, and it is something that we can use to highlight our tradition of civilization, our tradition of hospitality, our tradition our, our tradition of, of generosity. We can do that through wine and show the world that we 're not just a country of guys with beards and guns and bombs causing mayhem everywhere they go wine can be a a metaphor for our history and for our culture and i think that is one of the reasons that i love writing about lebanese wine and talking about lebanese wine and and just getting people behind it because we need as much good pr if you want as we can get and wine is a good way to do that our food does that as, as well
1: but also, there's an important economic reason right now, isn't there, to to help uh, encourage people to, to buy wine in the UK and the US and, and all around the world. And that's in terms of the currency and imports, isn't it?
2: Yes. Um, ever since the popular revolution in October of last year, the Lebanese banking system has imposed capital controls in the country, which which basically means that we cannot send money out of the country and we need... Hard currency to buy the raw materials that allows the industry to function. So exports are crucial at the moment in terms of generating what the Lebanese call "fresh cash," um, which means money, hard currency generated outside the country. So, so exports are, are are crucial.
1: And there's also other initiatives going on at the moment. I won't list them all here. I think we're going to discuss them elsewhere. But
2: yeah, there are. I mean, the response to this terrible event has been very touching I I never realized the the amount of feeling uh, the the um, the, um, I wasn't really aware the amount of affection that the world had for Lebanon until until last Tuesday Um, the outpouring of support um, has been quite extraordinary and very touching I think it touches upon what I was talking about earlier is that the country leaves a mark
1: in terms of wines, I'm just just turning to kind of uh, how to help people steer people in the right direction. Uh, Lebanese wines, uh, difficult question for you, I know. But are there any particular wines that you'd recommend? I mean, you, you've written uh, a lot recently about how about the evolution of Lebanese wines, perhaps towards more. The word that you've used is thoughtful wines. Maybe talking a bit more about the places and the and the grapes in a bit more detail and nuance. Um, tell me a bit more. Any any particular wines or styles that you'd recommend in there?
2: when the lebanese wine industry dusted itself down after the civil war in 91 and a lot of producers mainly Arak uh, producers reckoned they they could try their hand at wine which is something that they dabbled in before they um they looked at what the rest of the world was was doing and they started planting all the kind of superstar grapes um you know the, the cabs the merlots the chardonnays and then they they proceeded to dress them up in the most expensive oak um that they could because it's part of the Lebanese way of doing things. They like to do things properly. They like to be able to seem to be not skimping on anything. And so it was all about quality and it was all about using the best materials um, and the grapes that everyone really, really was drinking. And that affected the three grapes that had been the backbone, the workhorse of the industry for about 150 years, the poor old saint and the Carignan in particular. And at one point in the '90s, they they're all being pulled up. Now I'm I'm not going to blame the Lebanese for this because they were just you know it's easy with hindsight to look back. But um, now with less reliance on foreign winemakers, as a new generation of Lebanese winemakers who are coming back and they 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 are trying to understand what it is about their own their own land and what grapes really give best expression. That we're now seeing more attention paid to. The grapes that were kind of dismissed as rather peasanty um, before, especially the Sanso and and Carignan and the white indigenous Merlot and Abadia, um, uh, there is less reliance on oak, and I think that they they want to now understand that for a country to carve out an identity for itself, it needs to uh, deliver. As best it can, a sense of place um, and identity. We don't have any indigenous reds. Well, there's one. There's one indigenous red, Aswad Karach, which will be, I hope, will appear more and more in the coming years. But our adopted children are these southern Rhone, kind of Long Doc varieties, carrying Carignan, Grenache, to a certain extent, um, and the Marwah and the Abedi, which were, which were seen as Arak grapes and not even considered. Uh, suitable for wine and now really coming on the inside and um, giving a taste of Lebanon, a really unique taste. And it's no, it's no accident that, that the late Serge Hoshar was using those two grapes in equal measures in his, in his top of the range white wine. So he understood it. But he understood
1: everything, so. <laughs> and of course you've got the you know the the, the Bordeaux varieties as well, the cabernets and, and other things that are there, um, and obviously the reds are probably the signature wines of Lebanon. These wonderful reds, um, but you've also been a champion of the whites in the, and and in, in some of the sweets as well. I, I mean, I remember sitting down with you and tasting a wonderful nineteen thirty seven d'Or. You know, so there's there's more and more diversity, I guess, emerging from Lebanon. Is that right?
2: Yeah you know i'm going to go out on a limb here and i'm going to say that even though lebanon is is known for its red wines because you know it's a hot climate we make big powerful reds and 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 that's what we're known for but i i i would say that our whites are more interesting more diverse they have more character and they defy people's expectations because because they because lebanon is a hot country people are expecting the whites to not be as zippy as perhaps they could be uh, but, but because we plant them so high up we get a freshness that really belies their origins. Final
1: question um... You've written that Lebanon only makes 10 million bottles uh, per year, but each one is made in the shadow of, of conflict and political instability, uh, in some cases as the bombs are falling. Uh, you'd be working on a new film, I understand, uh, Wine and War. Um, tell us just a little bit about that.
2: Um, yeah, well, Wine and War is a, basically a homage to the Lebanese entrepreneurial spirit uh, seen through the lens of wine. Um, so it's not really a wine film. Per se it's more a film about the determination and that word again, resilience uh, of the Lebanese entrepreneur. You know, I think everyone knows about Serge Hoshar and his war record. Um, you know, the way Serge told the story, it was practically him driving the truck under the under the bombs to get his grapes from the from the vineyard to the winery. But there was a whole you no, know, there were so many other winemakers who had equally thrilling and in some cases, horrifying stories to tell um, about the uh, about the war, and uh, we just wanted to capture that because, in and of itself, it's 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 a it's a, it's a thrilling story um, to tell. But it it also, I think, reflects reflects the spirit of the Lebanese seen through a product that is a little bit more interesting than talking about you know Lebanese accountants or Lebanese bankers or you know. Um, so yes, it's it's just a it's a story about wine being made in conflict and highlighting the spirit of a people and i i'm you know i'm not saying that this terrible explosion last week came at the right time but if if ever there was a a moment in which lebanon and the lebanese needed their story told and framed um it's it's now and hopefully this film will be able to do that
1: cheers to that um michael carram thank you very much indeed thank you
0: Quite quite an emotional um, and, and fascinating Michael Caron there. Mm. Um, and, and that was interesting, wasn't it? His opinion that the whites are perhaps just as exciting, if not more so, mm. than the reds. Yeah, that was
1: really, really interesting, wasn't it?
0: Really? Mm. Um, and, and actually, we have got a couple of yep. recommendations coming up later on too, haven't mm. we? Well,
1: we're going to explore it and, and recommend some. And I, I love the, uh, I love what you said as well about the way that wine is a really good way to promote Lebanese culture and identity in a really positive way. Yeah, I mean, I mean know, it makes
0: sense, doesn't I mean, it? It
1: completely does. Um, and their food is what well. we, we love that style of food too. You know, what I did really appreciate was the way that Michael clearly feels the love and support that's being shown to Lebanon all around the world as well. Um, yeah. You know, it's, what's nice about that is it's clear we wine lovers can actually help in our small and sort of slightly <laughs> bibulous way, you know. Yeah. So, uh, in that context, we wanted to mention a couple of initiatives that are happening. We absolutely did, yeah.
0: So, the first is Bid for Be- Beirut Auction. Mm. Um, it's being organised by a lovely colleague of ours, Madeline Waters, who used to run the generic campaign for Lebanese wines. Uh, and it's raising funds for Impact Lebanon, amongst other things. Uh, she's got some fantastic lots, including a Jerobo of Whispering Angel Rosé thank you for it <laughs> well, what about this one? A vertical of Chateau Muzart back to nineteen seventy-seven. How about that? Uh, she's got VIP hospitality tickets to I think, Lords. I think you're going to
1: have to physically restrain me this weekend. <laughs> well, all you're of going those to lock me up somewhere so that I don't bid on all of, all this, of this, and this. Basically, know, bankrupt. You
0: know. uh, and then finally, we've also got uh, well that we know about a dinner at sixty-seven Pall Mall with Ronan Sabin and Tim Atkin. Uh, it's all happening on the long weekend of the twenty-eighth to the thirty-first of August. So save the date get your bidding fingers ready and a glass of wine in hand
1: mm, mm, that's, that sounds brilliant doesn't it and the, there's a couple of one off events too um, our friend and fellow master of wine Emma Dawson whose company Berkman imports Chateau Sarah, is doing a support Lebanon charity virtual tasting with George Sarah and Michael Karam uh, on Thursday the 27th of August um, that involves six bottles of wine for you to taste um, just email Emma mw at gmail dot com that's Dawson mw at gmail.com it's in aid of the uh, red cross beirut emergency appeal
0: and wine lover mikey clark known as wine not on twitter has roped in emma as well for a socially distanced Enological journey with Chateau Muzar, So we're back on Chateau Mouzar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an event at his house in Hampstead on Sunday the 20th of September, serving Lebanese food. Mm. Uh, and Mouzar's white, red and rosé vintages back to 2000. And that's to raise funds for the Lebanese Red Cross. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and many other people are doing things. We just saw this week the Wine Society, you know, a retailer here in the UK, released a Lebanese case, uh, which sold out pretty much straight away, I think. Wow. It surprised them with the demand. Uh, and I think they're currently trying to source a bit more stock to, to, to re-release that. So keep an eye on that. It's a great way to support. Uh, Messiah, the the Lebanese producer, is donating £10 to the Lebanese Red Cross for every case they sell via their UK importer, Thorman Hunt. Uh, And in the US, uh, May Mata Alia did a Zoom fundraising town hall webinar uh, in aid of the Beirut Emergency Fund. That's happened now, but there will be loads more things happening, I'm sure. So Mm. please do keep your eyes peeled um, and support as much as you can.
0: Absolutely. Now, now we've mentioned the the name already, but Chateau Mouzart is perhaps Lebanon's most iconic wine producer mm. led so brilliantly by the irrepressible Serge Ochar uh, until he very suddenly and very sadly died in 2014. Uh, publishers, Académie du Vin, are giving £5 to the Lebanese Red Cross for every copy they sell of their book, Chateau Mousard, The Story of a Wine Icon. And you can get that on Amazon or via their website, Académie dot com. I love the way you say that with the French accent. <laughs>
1: l'Académie <laughs> du Vin <laughs> Library <laughs>
0: It sounds so much sexier. No,
1: it sounds so much, so much better. We should all say every website address in a French accent. Let's try it from (laughs) now on. Anyway, um, we wanted to get a perspective from um, a Lebanese producer's viewpoint of the situation. Um, So I spoke to Mark Oshar, uh, Serge's son, uh, who runs the winery with his elder brother Gaston, uh, his uncle Ronald and cousin Ralph. And I started by asking Mark how he and the family are feeling.
3: Uh, We're good, we're shaken. I think uh, everybody in Lebanon is uh, shaken tremendously, specifically, you know, the area where we lived, where my family lives, we were all in the area that was hit quite hard, our offices as well. Yeah, Uh, it's been a a very, very tough blow. Uh, And we've even had a a member of the family that that was uh, affected by this. Uh, And uh, so it's been really, really uh, difficult times. Um, and it applies, I guess, to everybody who was living in that part of uh, of Beirut, next to the port.
1: So difficult both both personally and professionally?
3: Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, yes, absolutely.
1: Muzar is, is Lebanon's most iconic uh, wine producer. You've made wines, your family has made wines, your father famously, you know, through war, strife uh, and turmoil. Um, is this just one more setback that you know that, that can be worked through, or will this one be harder to overcome?
3: I think the um, the blast that happened in itself it does not affect specifically uh, the wineries in Lebanon because the wineries are located in the Big Valley in different areas. Obviously, they affect maybe people working at wineries, you know, people in the offices uh, in Beirut. It will affect definitely the economy. I think the biggest damage has been the damage that. Uh, I guess the country has sustained since October 17th, since I guess the beginning of the the unrest, uh, the, the uh, demonstrations, and the loss of uh, on the currency, because that has deeply impacted uh, the economic and the, the financial uh, well-being of everybody who lives in Lebanon, with their you know uh, bank accounts frozen, uh, the loss of value uh, of all of their uh, money at the bank. And so that is the really the biggest impact for us, uh, I guess, as producers, uh, uh, not necessarily on the selling side, but just even just producing is an issue. So
1: how does this, yeah, let's, let's go into that a little bit more. How does this affect you? Obviously the, the, the fact that local currency has massively devalued since October, as far as I understand it, some of the foreign currency reserves are being frozen. How do you, how do you buy the stuff you need to, to make wine?
3: Well, the, the, the way we buy it is either uh, you sell abroad which allows you to get hard currency, or if you're only selling in Lebanon, uh, which happens actually to some to some other wineries. Uh, in Lebanon, unfortunately, now there are many uh, different rates, exchange rates, the official rate, which is a dollar to uh, 1,500 Lebanese pounds. But then if you need to actually take your money out of the bank, you need to take it in Lebanese pounds uh, and then exchange it back into dollars at the exchange rate uh, in the black market, which is 6,000 or 7,000. So basically, all the money that you have in a bank account in Lebanon is worth 25% of its or 20% of its face value, if you need to take it out of the country to buy bottles, corks, labels, uh, capsules, whatever. Um, so yeah, it's a huge impact on um, the ability to import uh, things into Lebanon, uh, and therefore it has an inflationary uh, impact on uh, on costs.
1: So how important are export
3: sales to you right now? Huge. Huge. Uh, they've always been um, not necessarily linked to any financial or economical uh, uh, background, but just because of uh, the way Mizar has built our brand. We've built our brand uh, just by uh, accessing international markets, uh, creating wines that were sold that are sold everywhere in the world. Uh, so that's always been important. Um, uh, but now uh, Lebanon is in dire need for for exports, uh, because this is the only way to actually get hard currency that's going to be able to balance, I guess, the, the, the budget of the state. So um, there will be definitely, I think, one of the impacts of the, the financial crisis or the economic crisis is, will be to push exports uh, and therefore produce more in Lebanon. And anything that can be done to buy, I guess, Lebanese products will in a way help uh, alleviate some of the issues that we have, the financial issues we have in Lebanon.
1: So that was a question I was going to ask, you know, how can wine lovers help, help you guys, uh, you particularly in Muzar, but generally Lebanese wine producers? Is it just a question of buying more, you know, in our local markets?
3: I think that, I mean, obviously the first uh, help uh, is uh, just donations that go through all the different uh, NGOs that are helping the Red Cross. There are many Lebanese NGOs. Uh, There are setups also in the UK where I think if you contribute to the UK Red Cross uh, and uh, mention that you want it then to go to the Lebanese Red Cross, I think there's a tax benefit or there's a 25% addition that's um, uh, put by the UK government. So this is actually the first way of helping. And yeah, the second way of helping is just to buy Lebanese products, whether it's wine, whether it's you know, any other product. Unfortunately, there aren't that many, but there are a few um and it's a way of making sure there's actually more i guess uh, money coming into the country that will support the families and the people working in, in those industries
1: i understand there are a number of also uh, charitable initiatives going on at the moment aren't there one is bid for beirut uh, by madeleine waters which has a wonderful selection of uh, things to auction on quite a few bottles of chateau Muzar are in there i think there's a vertical going back to 77 which i've particularly got my eye on but to, to move on slightly you know what Hope. Wine is a very small thing in in the bigger picture, isn't it? Um, Especially at moments like this. Um, And yet it can almost be the, the most important of the least important things because it is important for people's livelihood and it can bring so much joy. I mean, what kind of hope can wine bring at times like these?
3: Oh, I mean, that's, that goes back, I guess, to, I guess, I guess the similar um, ideas that my father um, used to uh, mention during the Civil War from 75 to 90. Uh, And we have it here again, uh, with this, uh, with this uh, blast and this situation. And so wine is a way of uh, communicating. It allows really people to share things together. Um, uh, And again, so this is, I believe, one of the ways we can hopefully get some messages across uh, to the outside world that, you know, despite all the destruction that's happening in Lebanon, linked to this uh, blast, despite all the uh, economic downturn, uh, there are some beautiful things that can come out of uh, our our small uh, but beautiful country, like wine, like food, like uh, designer items and, and things like that.
1: And maybe one sort of, again, a difficult one. Obviously, you know, you'll have had many, many vintages of of, of Muzar over the years. Have there been any particular that for you personally that you remember drinking uh, for for maybe a personal reason at all or anything like
3: that? Uh, I've drank many Muzars in different circumstances. Uh, Maybe one that comes to light now is uh, 81. Uh, I remember being actually with my father probably 10 years ago. We're at home having lunch and we opened two bottles of 81 in parallel. Uh, we love to do those types of uh, things, uh, experiences, and uh, and so we had an I had an argument with my father. about which one was the right, the best bottle or the better bottle? Um, and so he had an opinion. I had a different one. We we liked different bottles. Um, but then we we tasted them over the course of the lunch, an hour, an hour and a half, and then we. What was surprising was to see the evolution of each single one of these bottles, and you know it's not a linear evolution in terms of opening up and uh, it, it was just at one point uh, whether it's after 20 minutes after an hour after an hour and a half which one was the best bottle it wasn't to determine in general which one was the best but you know in that cycle how did each one evolve and at a certain point in time which one was the best and it was a yeah you know, an eye-opening uh, experience because you realize that every bottle evolves at its own pace and uh yeah, when you're when you're comparing these two together, it's uh, at the same time it's it's uh, it's quite bizarre to see that those differences. It's like seeing twins uh, that you know age, and they each start to show some traits of character. They maybe start walking or talking uh, at different uh, um, ages or different days, and it's the same with a bottle of wine.
1: So I was going to ask you who won the argument in the end, but I guess it's not the point, is it? Really, that um, maybe maybe the point is we should all just be opening two bottles of great vintages of Muzar at the same time and and, uh, and seeing <laughs> seeing how they compare with each other. Well, Mark Oshar, thank you very much indeed for your time.
3: No, yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure, Peter.
0: So we can all help by donating to the Red Cross and also by buying and drinking Lebanese wines. Who knew we could be so
1: helpful? <laughs> it's um, a nice so, way of being helpful, isn't yeah, it? Here we go. So, okay, so, so a couple of quick recommendations to yep. close out the show. Yeah. So, um, so
0: the, the first thing to say really is we we tasted through a range of Lebanese wines, didn't mm-hmm, we? We did. Uh, a white, red, rose, mm-hmm. um, and what we would say about in general, they have such. Character, you know, we talk yeah. about the Lebanese people being amazing people and being resilient and and characterful people, and their wines really reflect that.
1: Totally, and so these are not wines for the faint hearted. No, no, But no, you no. know, there's there's a time and a place for that, and this yeah. is not it. There's bags of character, and what we also found with uh, with the wines was they often had this this wonderful character and richness and you could tell the sun had beaten down on these vines mm. but they, they weren't sweet they weren't sort of sickly they no. weren't overdoing it they were kind of they've rugged
0: got the, they've got a core rugged they?
1: and dry in a very yeah. European sense so yeah. they're, they're wonderful wines that reflect both you know warm climates but also a European sense of food friendliness and restraint and elegance which was really really good so where are we going to start?
0: Right well whites um, um, we had a couple of whites didn't we yeah, that we, that we one, uh, one were particularly keen some on. lined up here so, but so we, the first one's an indigenous variety, Merrois. Merrois. Uh, Merrois. Uh,
1: Michael can say that. Um, like we can't very well. But it's it's um, it's from Chateau Sarah, which is a producer we really, really like. Yeah, um, so
0: 2018.
1: 2018, Mer-ois. Um. It's not massively expensive. We couldn't find a price for this one, but no. I, I don't think it's going to be hugely expensive. What we loved about it was uh, it's got a, some lovely sort of sunbaked aromatics, but really it's just elegant. It's yeah. just food friendly. It's a wine that c- slips down dangerously easily and I think goes with all kinds of you said it was something that was
0: real lemon it felt like a squeeze of lemon you know if you were having a piece of uh, some like Mm. um, Mm. lovely sardines or you know really fresh fish this felt like a proper squeeze of lemon So it was a wine
1: of its place so you know you can see it in situ with the sun with a plate of shellfish (laughs) or seafood (laughs) something lovely lovely. Mm. so the
0: other white that we've got is Chateau Marcias 2015 Mm. this is about £18 from various independents including H2 Van Terra wine's mm. adventure Advent. yeah. um, mm. and this is this is a richer style isn't it oh, it's, it's, um, it's
1: hedonistic and we, we
0: actually don't know what the grapes are in this one no we don't we, we, we will find out at some point I'm sure um, but it is more luxurious isn't it so it's rich it's luxurious mm. but at the same time had lovely freshness
1: yeah I mean it's a wine to sink into you said it was like a yeah. cross between a South African Chenin and
0: and then a Southern Rhone
1: and a Southern Rhone because you've exactly. got
0: that, that generosity so it's mouth
1: coating yeah. but it, yeah. Yeah. it was absolutely lovely but wasn't pithy it
0: pithy and lovely oh, yeah, really yeah. Yeah. Really nice. So those are our whites. Mm. We go back to Cassara for, for a rosé, which is Gris de Gris. Do you say mm. Gris de Gris? G-R-I-S Gris de, de G-R-I-S? Gris de Gris. Gris de Gris. Gris, de Gris. Back to the, uh, back to the uh, French. <laughs> um, That's terrible. Yeah. 2018. Um, nice. Now now This is lovely really wine. nice. Quite a serious rosé in the sense that it feels mm. dark-fruited. Yeah. Um, you've got some Carignan and some Grenache Gris there. Mm. Uh, you get this from the, the drink shop. We think mm. around about £10 or yeah. just under £10 from the drink shop in mm. Kent. Mm. And what we what we kind of liked about this was its slightly more serious, fruity, dark fruited mm. character.
1: Absolutely, and it, yeah, it, it, I think a lot of these Lebanese rosés are lovely things. They're they're slightly deeper in colour than your classic Provence, so they can scare some some people visually. But actually, this is such a lovely, food friendly elegant satisfying rosé. you can have with so many different foods as well yeah. so moving so really on to the reds, oh, the reds. Here um, we go. we've
0: got some red here so mm. you let's have a chat well it's another
1: this Sarah one. this one's the Chateau they're, they're top bottling I believe the, the 2016 Chateau Sarah um, which is a blend I think of Cabernet it's Cabernet Merlot, Merlot
0: and Petit Verdot Petit Verdot
1: so um, quite a
0: Bordeaux blend yeah in a way that many sort of
1: Top Lebanese Reds do have some Bordeaux influence, don't they? But you and know, this it's made 20, 2016, in very, 2016,
0: So it's got a bit 2016,
1: of age. It's, it's got a bit of age, but it went so well with our lamb tagine, didn't
0: it? It did. We yeah, we, we, re- we, we 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 did a lamb tagine because that sort of felt kind of right for this mm-hmm. this style of wine, and you know that sweetness in the tagine with the creaminess of the wine. I mean, it's it's slightly international in style this wine, but it's also got that lovely leathery, rustic, mm. spicy kind of its own character. It's very satisfying
1: <clears throat> in sense, isn't it? Very savoury. And my worry was putting it with a lamb tagine, which has a lot of sweetness to it, mm. would, uh, you know, the wine was a bit too rugged and a bit too dry in the final count, even though it had that fruit, free, free, sorry, that sort of sweet fruit mm. flavour it didn't deliver sweetness on the back palette but no. actually it had enough fruit to really be seamless it was,
0: it was really nice and you, you
1: didn't actually want too sweet a wine with a lamb no, you? because otherwise no. everything now becomes now we're going to put sweet.
0: all these details on the, on the website yeah. anyway aren't we we've yeah. got a final wine final which wine which is, is the Muzar
1: 2013 which we really enjoyed with oh. our barbecue lamb didn't we, we did, well we that did. was absolutely lamb sensational was this is was, the 2013 uh, as we heard as we heard you know Muzar, wonderful producer they often recommend their wines be kept for quite a long time you know yeah, it's 15 yeah. 20, well, they they age years. very very, they do very age. well. And we've had some beautifully aged wines. So
0: this is available at Waitrose, isn't so it? So I don't know if
1: they've definitely got the twenty thirteen, but Waitrose usually has Musar at yeah. about twenty seven ninety nine, and yeah. you can actually get magnums of Musar. <laughs> I think at fifty five $27.99.
0: about, about.
1: twenty seven. Uh, but they also 29. do magnums. Ah, uh,
0: yeah. Well, I mean,
1: which which are bingo. the best way to drink? As we know, yeah. Yeah. bottles yeah, yeah. should be called half magnums. There we go. There we go. Um, so there we have it. Lots of delicious reasons to support Lebanon uh, and its wine producers. Um, wine can bring help. And hope. And I think that's a really important message here. Uh, don't forget the other internet initiatives like Bid for Beirut, auction, the various events and wines being sold in aid of Lebanon. We'll put all these details on our website if you want them. And, you know, as Mark Oshar suggests, uh, the best place to start may be to donate to the Red Cross where you can um, you can find a way to channel the funds directly to the Beirut Emergency Fund.
0: Yeah. So thanks to Mark, thanks to Michael Karam and to you for listening. We really appreciate it. Until next time, cheers.